Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Welcome back to Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here. This is Podcast 403. As we take a deep dive in those deadly sins, those mistakes, those blunders that you're making in negotiation that you probably learned or picked up that are wrong, that are costing you money. Let's fix those, get you back on track. So we can take your life and your income, your success, your relationships to the next level. All the things that you should have learned in school. Things you need every day because we persuade, we influence, we negotiate every day. It could be the restaurant you go to, what you watch on TV, even at home. It's something you could use all the time. I hope everyone's engaged, achieving their goals, and mastering these skills. Hope you had a great week. I spent the week doing more on stories and leadership and influence. It's amazing that's a hot topic right now because... If you can't tell the story, you can't influence. It's such a big part of charisma, influence, and leadership, telling stories. Not only telling the story, but identifying the right story and using it to persuade under the radar. We'll talk a little bit about that today, but let's get things started. Let's do a Persuasion Ninja. So a friend of mine was coming to a meeting. We're going to name names, but this was a new company. They didn't know who he was. I didn't let them know that I knew him. He was just an outside person trying to do a joint venture, trying to work with this company. And he shows up in this beautiful, I don't even know how much it costs, BMW parked right where everybody could see it. It was a beautiful, nice car. They were impressed. And I've seen this company treat people, and they treated him differently. Because external things do impress people. Well, they shouldn't. I know, but they do. People do treat you differently. Remember the study I talked about in San Francisco when the light turned from red to green, and the car in front of you didn't move, and they were testing to see how fast people would honk? Hello, when it was a clunker, milliseconds. Well, maybe not that fast, but it was a lot faster. And when it was a nice car, maybe a beautiful Rolls Royce, they took their time. It's true. External factors matter, like the size of your office, how you dress, how the conference room looks, how the reception area looks. It matters. He was treated differently just based on the car he drove. I know it's crazy. I know it's dumb, but it's just reality. We have to deal with it. doesn't matter what's right or wrong. It's reality. Because I know for a fact he has another car that he drives most of the time, right? Just a basic, basic car. In fact, I did some speaking engagements with uh, Dr. Danko. I don't even know him. He did some research with Dr. Stanley on the millionaire next door. You don't even know that they're next door. You don't know they're a millionaire, but what is the average millionaire doing? In fact, it was interesting. Their research shows when they were researching the millionaire next door, most of the millionaires were driving a basic car. It was like either a Honda or a Ford. But sometimes you dress to impress, I guess you have to drive to impress. Now, if the relationship was already established or already had credibility or already had the expertise, it probably wasn't going to be an issue, but I'm going to give him the ninja, A, because he's always wanted it, and B, it's true. 
He used external elements to increase credibility, got treated differently, and I have to say, got the joint venture. Which brings us to our listener email. Oh boy! Which will go right into the geeky scholarly article. So Ian from Nebraska, thanks for the podcast. I've not missed a show in four years. Thanks, Ian. Appreciate it. Goes on to say, I attended your perfect persuasive presentation seminar and putting modesty aside have been a closing machine. I guess you are. Found this article in the Harvard Business Review and wanted your thoughts. True, false, or has it changed? Thank you. And I'm persuading with power. All right, thanks, Ian. Let's take a look at that article. Of course, that'll be our geeky, scarly article of the week. And by the way, the Perfect Persuasive Presentation Seminar is now going to be launched online. It's beta testing. Let me know if you want to be a part of the beta test. Send me an email at Kurt at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. So this article is titled, Five Presentation Mistakes Everyone Makes. This is the Harvard Business Review and Nancy Duarte. Remember, we all present for a living. Now, we can present to somebody one-on-one, maybe two or three people, or a whole group of people, or all presentations. We've all been through enough bad presentations to know that this is a huge issue. And I'm just telling you, if they're not listening, if they don't say yes, it's got to be your fault. You've got to keep them engaged, because anybody can present, but is it persuasive? Anybody can inform, but is it influential? So let's go through them, in and see if we agree, disagree. Maybe it depends. Maybe no way. Maybe it's just changed a little bit. First one in the Harvard Business Review says, failing to engage emotionally. It says, you risk losing your audience when you just state the facts. No presentation should be devoid of emotion, no matter how cerebral the topic or the audience. Speak to their heart as well as their minds. Well, yeah, I agree. That's always been an issue. More emotions. We have to use both. We have to balance it. And it's not just a simple formula. It depends on your audience. Maybe with a group of medical doctors, I have my logic and I have a little emotion. Maybe a group of marketers or salespeople, I'm, you know, maybe a little more emotion, but some logic. It depends on the group, obviously. So that part I agree with. The depends, of course, is the type of audience. It's not just one formula. And this is a huge issue, a big complaint as I interview people after you've tried to influence them is you, you data dump on them. All this logic, all these facts, all these figures and studies, what you need, but you have to be careful. And let me add to this too, that with the audience, you have to shoot down the middle. When I'm persuading somebody one-on-one, I'm adapting to them and their style. And audience, I have all the personalities in the room, I have to shoot down the middle which means what I call the law of balance. You have to balance the logic and emotion, but agree with the part that you need to have both. And if people are making a huge mistake, it is that you're not engaging emotionally. And how do you do that? You ask more why questions. Why is that important? Which means why should they care? And peel that onion back to find out what is that true reason that's important to them, that that emotional reason they should care about. All right, number two. Asking too much of your slides. They want to talk about PowerPoint, but when there are too many elements in your slide deck, you cram in too many points so you don't forget anything, it's not persuasive. I will agree with that one. Absolutely agree 100%. Too many slides, too much stuff on your slides, too many notes on your slides, your back's to the audience, the lights are dimmed. 
And to a presenter, it's like a warm blanket. Oh, I've got all my notes on a slide. I won't forget anything. But it's not persuasive. It's not influential. So I'll agree with that one. Too, too much. Way too much. And you could have notes without holding notes or having it on a PowerPoint. There are other options that you can use. This one's an interesting one. Number three, trotting out tired visuals. Meaning we have these slides. We want a visual aid, which is good. Visual aids can be persuasive. And let me remind you, text on a slide is not a visual aid. Back to the PowerPoint example. This one's interesting. He says, as you think about your visual concept, the visual you want to use, throw it away. Throw away the first ones that come to your mind because he says that occurs to everyone else. So everyone else is using the same thing. You think you're original. You've come up with something, but so did everyone else. Throw it out. They've seen it a million times in the other presentations. Find something unique, original, create it yourself. I'll agree with that one. Or maybe I could add it depends to where sometimes you need to be the visual aid. Sometimes the best visual aid is you or something physical or none at all. Fewer is better. People use way too many visual aids, especially in the PowerPoint world. So careful there. Be more original. Number four, speaking in jargon. They say unless you're speaking to a group of people who are steeped in the material themselves, you're better off avoiding highly technical or industry-specific language. They call it the grandmother test. If your grandma doesn't get it, don't use it, especially in a diverse audience. Now, if you're talking to a group of subject matter experts, use the jargon, go for it. But usually we use way too much. And I've said it before, confused mind says no. My studies show that simpler is better. Now, again, a group of experts, people that really know their stuff, go for it. Or another study I saw that if you're an expert witness on the stand, go ahead, use some confusing jargon because it impresses the jury. <laughs> Interesting study. But for the most part in business, keep it simple. And number five, going over your allotted time. Oh, I will agree 100% on this one. There are some conditions, some depends here. Article says that people in your audience will never scold you for ending early. And she said they average about 30 to 40 minutes, probably lower on a Zoom presentation. I mean, some companies have been doing these eight-hour Zoom presentations, which is way too long. I mean, there are breaks and a few other things and exercises. That is a long time. Again, they'll never scold you for ending early. Even college students. This is crazy. People that pay top dollar for the class they're taking are excited if you end early or cancel it. So logically, that makes no sense, but we all get it. So I don't care if you were given 30 minutes when there's 15 minutes left, you have 15 minutes. Because if you go over the time they expect, they hate you, they don't like you, they're tense, they're mad, that's not a good state to persuade them. If they're mad at you, they don't like you, they want to go home. Now, if you're the CEO, you can keep them as long as you want. But if you're not, you probably have to end on the time they expect. That's why in the Perfect Persuasive Presentation, I teach the accordion presentation with your content you can make it 10 minutes. You can make it two hours with the same content. It's easier than you think. So Ian, there you go. Went over the article. Yeah, most of it's spot on. I agree. Some depends on there as you adapt to your audience. But remember, as I studied charisma and charismatic leaders, your upward mobility is your ability to present in front of groups of people. That makes one of the biggest difference in your success and your income and your future. Which brings us to the content of the day, the seven deadly negotiation sins and mistakes, the blunders that you're making when you negotiate. Now remember, negotiations usually two persuaders going together, 
And these all start with the letter P so you can remember them to make sure you're not doing them. The first one is being too pushy. Hey, I love the persistence, but when you're too pushy, many people are going to retreat, especially those who aren't used to the negotiation game. And that's what's important. You have to know when to play the game, when not to play the game. Hardcore negotiators, they don't mind you being pushy or too persistent. You have to know when to play the game. Some people love the game. Some people might not love the game, but you have to understand the game and know when to treat. Now, it's okay to be a little persistent, but know when you've pushed a little too much when it's time to retreat and back up. But that is a huge complaint. Too pushy. People feel like you're telling them what to do. That is a huge mistake. Number two is no personal development. So the P is personal development. Things have changed with negotiation and your industry. You have to be prepared to go off script. You cannot go where you haven't been, what you haven't researched, what you don't understand about the competition, about the world of negotiation. Get more tools. When you need to negotiate it and you get your search engine out and find one or two tools, that's not what I'm talking about. Your personal development. And the key thing here is when you do have a personal development program, you're learning and growing, you feel more competent, you are more competent, you act more competent. In fact, something interesting, if you can teach them something new in the first four minutes, something you haven't thought about their industry, about the company, about the world, about you fill in the blank, you come across as more competent. So a couple pieces here. Be more competent, feel more competent by having a personal development program, getting more tools, and expanding your horizon so when the time comes, you can go off script. So more personal development. Next B is preparation or I should say lack of preparation, lack of planning. Harvard did a study, found that's one of the biggest things. People just show up. They don't plan. They don't prepare. They don't think about it. They just have their one option in their mind, their one solution, the one thing they want to happen. And when that doesn't happen, they yell, they get upset, they leave, they get angry because they haven't thought it through. I'll just show up and see. I've been doing this for a while. No, no. It doesn't matter how long you do it. The pros always prepare, always do research. It's amazing to see other professional speakers that even though they've given the same speech a hundred times, they still practice, they still prepare. That's a sign of professional. So when you prepare, you're getting yourself in their shoes. You're understanding their culture. You're looking at the different options. Your goal is to make that pie, another P, or pizza, whatever you want to call it, bigger. What are those different options, different things, different things you can do? That's a sign of preparation Hey, bottom line is you're going to pay with your time and preparation or the lost money in the back end. You choose. And part of that's knowing what things are worth. Knowing the range of your offer, what you're willing to accept. The high, the middle, the low. That's part of your preparation, the planning. I know you're busy, but hey, every minute you plan, you prepare, you think these things through, it gets you a better deal. The next P, or I should say P's, is fighting over their position versus finding their problem. Remember the story about the orange, the two 12-year-old girls fighting over the last orange? Mom hears the fight, comes down the stairs, sees them both wanting this last orange, and of course, what's mom do? They cut it in half. So the first girl peels the orange, throws the peel away and eats the orange. The second girl peels the orange, throws the orange away and uses the peel for a cooking project. The position was wanting the orange, but the true issue, the true problem was one wanted the peel, one wanted the orange. We get stuck in this all the time. So the challenge, a lot of negotiators don't peel the onion back. They don't go through the layers. They don't find what the real issue is. You are a detective. 
you are trying to figure out what is the true issue here because what they say and mean are usually two very different things. And sometimes they don't even know. You got to peel back, find out exactly what is that problem, what is their issue. Again, you are the detective. Back to us consulting with a real estate investor, right? Raw piece of land, and just we'll round off some numbers here. And it was worth probably at the time two hundred fifty thousand, and he wanted three hundred for it. Of course, so the position was three hundred, and of course everyone's two eighty, two fifty, two forty, right? Fighting over the position of that, wanting it cheaper because it's not worth that. I said, no, 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 go peel the onion, be the detective, ask these questions. Find out what's the real issue here. Because everybody knows it's not worth that. What is the real issue? What is the real problem? Found out. Going to retire in five years. That's the last piece to their nest egg. In no rush. Worked out a deal. Offered 100000 down now with the full amount in five years. When they're going to retire. Done, done, and done. Next P, we'll call it the prickly pear. <laughs> if you ever see that fruit on a cactus... To my international friends, that's the pokey plant in the desert, to be, I guess, scientific. Or we just call it you're being a pain in the butt, meaning you're just not showing your cards. You're starting off mean. You're not smiling. And there might be a time and place for that. You know, I do have my RBF, and if you don't know what that is, look it up. We've had shows on that one. In fact, one interesting negotiation study showed that if you can just start off nice, that increases your chance of success by 4%. But if every technique you add adds 1%, 4%, 5% here, you can see the difference in the long run. So learn to be a little more friendly, to adapt to them, to their personality. If they start off angry or throw insults, don't take it personally. Don't get angry. Remember the rule, only one person angry at a time, and it should not be you. And part of that too is knowing that it's okay to make the first offer. We've talked about that. That if you don't want to go and they don't want to go. Now, if you don't know what things are worth, don't go. But the studies do show the person goes first, builds more trust, builds reciprocation. And statistically speaking, when you create that anchor or starting point of the negotiation, you get better terms. Assuming you've done your research. The next P is the pivot. Not knowing... When it's time to change, shift gears, do something different, take a break. There are a lot of dirty deeds, dirty tricks people have been teaching when the world of negotiation. In fact, if you want to go to the archives at MaximizeYourInfluence.com, go to Podcast 297s where I talk about the dirty tricks of negotiations. Not to use, but to be aware of them so you don't get caught up in that emotional game. Plus, while we're here, MaximizeYourInfluence.com is the place where you can take your free Persuasion IQ assessment Get the free book, the new edition of Maximum Influence, or find out the different training and coaching programs that we have. All right, there is our plug. So knowing when to pivot, change gears, take a break, knowing that they're using a dirty trick, knowing they're looking for emotional reaction, knowing when it's time to get off script, like I talked about before, switch gears to pivot and do something else, talk about something else, do something else, or even I'll put take a break or schedule another meeting. Too many people, I want to hammer it out today. Let's get it done today. And if they're emotional, in a bad mood, that affects your ability to persuade and negotiate. And final one is patience. Lack of patience. Slow is fast. I know you want to be one and done, get it done. But a little bit at a time, building a relationship, building trust makes a big difference. So slow is fast, especially when you're dealing with other cultures. We know in the world of persuasion and influence that it's easier to persuade someone over an hour 
than it is in 10 minutes. It's easier to persuade someone in three little meetings than one big meeting. It's known as sequential request. Not only that, if they sense that you're in a hurry, that you have a flight in an hour, that you got to get this done, that your job's on the line, you have to get a decision today, man, if they're a professional negotiator, they're going to take you to the cleaners. Just saying, just putting it out there. Learn a little more patience. Slow is fast. Let me just put it to you this way. A fast no is not as profitable as a slow yes. So there you have it, another one for the books. That's Maximize Your Influence. Check us out under Maximize Your Influence on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Hey, let's make this special of the week, the Persuasive Presentation Audio Program. I'll give you a sweet deal. Click on the link or go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Again, those who want to test the new online seminar, the perfect persuasive presentation, and that includes the template the PowerPoints, that step-by-step to be able to close on command. Send me an email at kurtamaximizeyourinfluence.com. Think about the things we talked about today. Choose the one. Apply it. Use it. Become a better negotiator, a better influencer, and go out and persuade with power.